Dear Father in heaven, again, I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to meet here and that we can freely worship you. I ask now, Lord, that you be with us, that you fill this church with your presence, and Lord, that my words will be a reflection of you and your words, Lord. And may everyone take away what you would have them take away, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us. Amen. He was definitely not from around the area. In fact, he seemed uneducated. He seemed scared. And it was as if he were trying to hide something. Maybe he was running from the law, or maybe, maybe he had some connection with the criminal that was currently on trial. Well, either way, he definitely wasn't from the area, and his way of speaking made that very clear. The newcomer sat, warming himself by the fire. And those around watched and talked. And finally, a third person approached this newcomer and asked him again if he knew the man that was on trial. Did you know, do you know Jesus? And for a third time, this man said, no, I don't know him. Only this time he got angry. And he began to, to swear an oath. And he said, I do not know this man. And he turned and he finally ran off. Well, gossip around the fire quickly confirmed that, yes, this man was indeed a follower of Jesus, or at least he used to be a follower of Jesus. Several weeks had passed since that night. Jesus had been arrested and crucified, and the city seemed to go back to a bit of a, a, a normalcy. Things were, were normal again, all that was except for some weird sect that claimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, several weeks later, the same man who had denied Jesus that night now stood in the center of the room. The priestly body was around him, most of them Sadducees, and a lot of them related. And all of them had one purpose and one goal in mind, and that was to squash this new sect that has, had arisen. The reason for the trial, well, he and his companion had healed a man who had been crippled for up to 40 years. And so now they stood, and the authorities wanted to know, by what power do you do these things? And so the question was asked, by what power or by what name did you do this? The two men in the center of the room, their names, Peter and John, stood tall. And then the one called Peter began to speak. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. Acts 4, 8 through 12. All right. Acts 4. Verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Everyone in the room, I'm sure, was amazed at the boldness that this man spoke. He was an uneducated man. He was an ordinary man. In fact, rumor had it that he used to fish for a living. 
And now here he stood saying that the good works that he was doing and the healing that had just taken place was done because of Jesus, the man who had been crucified several weeks before. The man who had been healed stood with Peter and John. And so as the the authorities and the, the priests tried to decide what to do with these two men, they looked at the man who had been healed and they knew that they couldn't do anything to them at the moment. So they called them over and they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Okay, so now surely this man who had cowered that night and run away denying that he knew Jesus, surely now he would say, okay, I won't speak any more about Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen or heard. Absolutely amazing. How does a man like Peter, he was proud, he was boastful, he was the first to speak, and he would often speak without thinking. How does he, someone who was zealous enough to cut off a man's ear, and then when asked three times if he believed in Jesus, do you know Jesus, he denies it flat out and says, no, I don't. How does a man like this experience such a transformation in only three, believed to be about three weeks. How does that happen? I want you all to turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. John 21, 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, or Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said again, Feed my sheep. And then finally at the end he says, Follow me. So how did a man like Peter change his ways? For three and a half years, Peter and the other disciples had followed Jesus. They'd walked with him. They believed, Peter had even gone so far as to say, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. But Peter and the other disciples had thought and believed that Jesus' mission on earth was slightly different than what it actually was. They believed that he was going to come and he was going to to conquer the Romans and drive them out and set up an earthly kingdom. And so, when Jesus was nailed on the cross, you can only imagine their disappointment when suddenly their king was powerless or so it seemed and so Peter had denied but why because he'd built up a false reality a false religion a false interpretation of texts and when Jesus died on the cross all that came to a crashing halt there would be no earthly kingdom no ruling beside Jesus no overthrowing Rome in a big glorious victory and so he denies but now Jesus stands before him on the beach that morning He stands before him, risen from the dead. And Peter has, for the first time, a real encounter with Christ. 
he has such an encounter that it is a transforming experience. Peter had a real encounter with Christ's love. This is something that the English translations can't capture very well, but the Greek can. See, the first two times Jesus says, do you love me? He says, he uses the word agape for love. Do you agape me? And twice Peter responds with, I filio you. which I love you, but I filio you. So there's four different words in the Greek for love. There's eros, which is that shared between a husband and a wife. There's storage, which is a parental love. I don't know if it's any coincidence that it sounds like scourge, but storage. Then there's agape, which is that unconditional love that doesn't rely on human emotion. It has the best interest of the other party in mind at all times. And that's the love that Jesus asked, do you agape me? And then there's filio, which is the warm love that we feel for those closest to us. So for friends, for neighbors, for those that we're acquainted with. So Jesus says, do you agape me? In other words, is your love unconditional? Is your love not stuck on human emotion? And Peter, the man who probably once would have said, yes, Lord, you know I agape you. You know I love you. Simply and humbly replies, Lord, I filio you. Which means I love you as a friend. We see a much humbler man now. He isn't boastful and willing to cut off someone's ear, but rather he realizes that he too has limitations. So twice Jesus says, do you agape me? Twice Peter responds, I filio you. And then lastly, Jesus says, do you filio me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. He gets upset, but he says, yes, Lord, I filio you. An absolutely amazing transformation. And it's something that the English version doesn't quite pick up, but it's, it's astounding. Because see, that agape love, it could be learned and it would be learned as the relationship with Christ deepened. But the fact that Peter was willing to, to be humble and say, Lord, I, I can't do that right now. I can't promise you that right now. But I do filio you. It was an amazing transformation. And it showed that Peter had finally had an encounter with Christ's love. In The Desire of Ages, Ellen White recaps it well when she says that this encounter between Christ and Peter, it taught the disciples and Peter that when we meet with someone who has wronged us or someone who has done something wrong in their own life, perhaps, we meet them with patience, sympathy, and forgiving love. And this brings me to something else that Peter encountered that morning on the beach. Not only did he have an encounter with Christ's love, but he also had an encounter with forgiveness. See, three times Peter is asked, do you love me? And three times he says, yes. Three times he had denied Christ. That and Jesus finally says, feed my sheep. And this doesn't mean that he's going to go from being a fisherman to now being a shepherd, but rather that Christ has forgiven him. And he reinstates him to a place where he says, you know what? You've messed up, but I still have a job for you to do in this church. I still expect you to tend my sheep. He, so Peter still has a work to do. He still has a place. Despite his mess up, despite denying Christ, he has been forgiven. When someone wrongs us, <laughs> it's hard to forgive them. I don't know if I'm the only one that finds it hard at times. But it's hard to forgive and it's hard to move on, let alone reinstate that person to a place of trust and active duty. And this is what Christ expects us to do for others and for ourselves. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is me. Forgive, move on. He wants us to have that agape love for others. 
that love that says, even if you insult me, even if you harm me, I will still seek nothing but your highest good. That's an extreme love. It's a love that says, I will let God be the judge, and I will do what I'm called to do as a Christian. I'm going to love you, I'm going to forgive you, and we're going to work past this. I forgive you because Christ forgave me, and I love you because Christ loves me. It's a tough thing to do, but if Christ's love and forgiveness can take a person like Peter, loud, obnoxious, zealous, <laughs> it goes on and on. If he can take him and transform him, imagine what he can do for us. And imagine what he can do through us if we allow his love and his forgiveness to be poured out on those who have hurt us. But forgiveness and love, they weren't the only thing that Peter experienced that day. There was a third thing. He experienced Christ's patience. For three and a half years, Christ walked beside this, dare I say, pig-headed man. For three and a half years, he had patiently guided and showed his disciples who he was. And for three and a half years, he tried to, to correct their false interpretations. He tried to show them what his real plan was. And, for three and after three and a half years, Peter still denies him. So Peter had actually walked with Christ. He had heard his sermons. He had seen the miracles done. He had eaten with him. He had had private experiences where he sat down and talked to Christ one-on-one, -on -one, which is more than I think any of us can say he had actually been with Jesus, and yet he was still able to deny him. But this is good news for us, because it means that Christ isn't finished with any of us yet. It means that despite the wrong that we have done in our lives, despite what we have watched, despite the way we've judged others, despite the hurt that we may have caused someone, despite the things that we have said, despite the fact that maybe at some point in our lives we have turned our back physically on God, it means that Christ is not finished with any of us yet. Talk about an incredible God we serve. I was doing dishes several weeks ago. I do dishes more often than several weeks, but several weeks ago I was doing dishes, and Shannon, my youngest, was being quite quiet. She's two, and so you always know that there's probably trouble. So I asked Allie, my older girl, I said, Allie, can you please go run and just let me know what Shannon's up to? So she runs off down the hall, and then I hear loud, uh-oh, and then she comes running back. So I'm like, okay, a mess. She comes flying into the kitchen, and she looks at me, and she says, I don't know what to say, but come see. So I went, and I saw, and of course, there was water everywhere. Shannon was soaking wet. She'd managed to get the tap on in the bathroom, but that's besides the point. But this got me thinking. When it comes to our own lives and our own experience with God, it's a matter of that. I don't know what to say, but come see. So when people look at us, do they say those words? Wow, I don't know what to say, but come see. I'm sure, see, that many of the same servants, the servant girl, the guards, the high priests, all those people were present the night that Peter had denied Christ. And now here he stood in the center of the room, boldly proclaiming Christ. And I can only imagine that some of them went home that day and said, wow, I don't know what to say, but come see. Our testimony, what Christ has done for us, is our greatest source for witnessing. So as Peter and John stood there before the council during their trial, it was remarked in Acts 4, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized 
that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. People recognized them as companions and followers of Christ. They saw the change in these men who had once fled but now stood resolute and firm in their faith. And I can only imagine that they honestly did say, I don't know what to say, but come see. You have to see in order to believe. Well, perhaps you're thinking, that can't happen to me. (laughs) I don't have much of a testimony to share. I've been born in the church. I've been raised in the church. I went to church schools, and I'm still in the church today. (laughs) I know, I've often thought that. I don't have much of a testimony to share. My life can't be an amazing witness like that. But see, Peter was a Jew. He had gone to synagogue on Sabbath. He had followed Jesus in person for three and a half years. And yet he was not changed. He lacked love. He lacked forgiveness. He lacked that patience. And if we look at the stories of Peter throughout the Gospels, we know who he, what he was like before he came to Christ that day. He was a first, the first to talk. He was proud. He was a good Jew, just like, you know, many of us are good Christians. But it wasn't until that encounter with Christ that his life was actually changed. And so even him, a Jew, raised a Jew, people could still see the difference enough to probably say, wow, I don't know what to say, but come see. So no matter what, our testimony is our greatest witness once we have had that encounter with Christ. So what was lacking in Peter's life? And for many Christians today, what is lacking in us sometimes where we might not feel that great? The Desire of Ages, page 815, says knowledge, benevolence, eloquence, gratitude, zeal are all aids in the good work. But without the love of Jesus in the heart, the work of Christian ministers is a failure. Oh good, this verse is talking about ministers. Well, not really. It's talking about all of us. We all have something different to do. Knowledge, benevolence, eloquence, gratitude, zeal are all aids in the good work. But without the love of Jesus in the heart, the work of a Christian is a failure. That day, Peter encountered Christ's love. And now he had an obligation to share it with those around him. That day, he had an encounter with Christ's forgiveness. And now he had to share that. And that day he had an experience with Christ's patience. And now he had to share that. Many years ago there was a family with seven or eight kids. I can't remember how many at the moment. The father had had died, leaving the mother to raise these kids. Now in the 1920s this was definitely not an easy thing to do. It wouldn't be easy now, let alone then. So times got quite tough for this family. And so her and all the kids moved in with a friend of hers. This friend happened to be an Adventist. The family wasn't. And the mother would watch as this family dealt very lovingly with her kids. And they had a great deal of patience. See, all the kids were boys except for one girl. So there was quite a bit of rough housing and things were getting broken occasionally. And, but this woman was very patient. And so she decided she wanted to study the Bible with her. She wanted to know what made her different. And so she began to study. And her oldest son, Ted, also did the same. So the 1930s rolled around. And the Great Depression began to take its hold. And the oldest boy, Ted, was offered a very good 
good paying job with GE, General Electric. But it would require him to work on Sabbath. And because of his Bible studies and what he had accepted, he turned down the job. Now his younger brother, Lionel, he sneered at his brother. He said, how could you be so crazy? You know, we've got to eat. Why would you do that? And so he went off, and he got a good job working for the railroad, for CN. Now there was a general rule known to all on the railroad that no matter what, you did not walk between cars. Because uh, an engine could start up, and you wouldn't hear the engine, and the cars would just silently click click together. And they had actually experienced it where one man had been walking, and he took a shortcut. He decided just to go through the cars. The cars weren't coupled together, and the cars had coupled and trapped the man. And he, of course, had died. So it was a general rule, do not walk between the cars. But on this one night, Lionel was tired, and he really didn't feel like walking all the way around the train. He just wanted, it was shift time was done. And he walked through the cars. Now as he got just to the, he was pretty much through, when suddenly he felt his coat click together as he just seconds away from getting trapped. So he went over and he sat down and he lit his cigarette and he began thinking. He began thinking about his life. He realized that it was by God's grace that he had been saved. And despite the wrong that he had done in his life, God's forgiveness still applied, even to him. He realized how patiently God had been guiding him throughout his life. And he realized how deeply God's love reached. And at that moment, he gave his heart to God. Sometimes in our own life, we may think that perhaps, perhaps we've done something too bad. Or that maybe we aren't perfect enough for God. We look at our shortcomings, the things that hold us down, and we can't see how God could possibly accept us. But I have good news. If God could take a man like Peter and through patience, love, and forgiveness transform him to be a man that could stand before the council that day and boldly say, no matter what, I'm going to proclaim Christ's name. If he could take a man like Peter, who was, well, Peter, (laughs) and transform him, what can he do for us? Yes, our lives might look messy, but being perfect was never and has never been a prerequisite for coming to Christ. Change happens after we come to him. But it's worth it, and it's the best decision we can make. So it's my prayer today that each and every one of us can have that real encounter with Christ and allow his love and his acceptance and his forgiveness and his patience to transform each one of us into a people that when people see us, they just simply go, wow, I don't know what to say, but come see May we be that people today. It worked for Peter and it worked for my grandfather. He was the one in the story. So may each one of us experience God's love and share that love, that forgiveness and that patience with others because once we have experienced that in our own lives, we can't help but share it with others. Amen.